Joanne, Nathan, Ed, I just want to underscore what Danny Green believed to be the purpose of this whole exhibit is for people who visit it to do something with the information that they encounter. But what is it that they should do? Well, I mean, there are a variety of ways in which people will respond, regardless of whether or not we agree with that response, right? So um, you may remember from 2014, there was an episode in Auschwitz, which was, you know, a Nazi concentration camp that was converted into a memorial site. And this American teenager took a selfie, and she did so with a smile on her face and put it on social media. And there was immediate backlash about that. Um, And, you know, she's developing a personal connection with a historic site, but there's a sense that the tone is wrong. And you can certainly imagine this being similarly a problem if if one were to say go to the Peace and Justice Memorial for the Equal Justice Initiative and replicate, in effect, the visual grammar of the lynching photograph by taking a selfie Mm -hmm. in front of one of these installations. Um, And so I think, you know, on one level, people need to go, that that's partly their, you know, civic um, responsibility, but then there also has to be another element of that, which is, you know, getting up to speed on what the story is, us having a, a robust conversation, be it, you know, in public spaces, in social media, elsewhere, really framing the event and framing the move to m- memorialize these various episodes. And the Holocaust is obviously an easier one to do in some cases, not in all cases, but in some cases simply because of the way that America stands outside of that particular atrocity. And so we should also be aware of that, I think, and and use the moment of remembering the Holocaust as a way to cast an even broader universal dilemma about what powerful people do relative to the disempowered. But Nathan, just to push back a little bit, is it easier to do when today, as we speak, The United States is denying asylum uh, to thousands of people who, while not facing uh, concentration camps, are facing systematic violence uh, and all other kinds of terror at the hands of the countries that they live in. Yeah, I think the the best public history work does exactly that. It, it offers these reminders of, you know, the way that history rhymes, right? And and tries to encourage people to think about, you know, things that they might find abhorrent in the past being, you know, replicated or, or reproduced in some aspect in the present. Um, so I think, you know, we, we should not think about us as somehow, again, standing outside of a very human condition of dealing with refugees or those in crisis or, again, you know, a certain kind of political violence, but instead, you know, use the moment to memorialize the Holocaust or memorialize lynching as ways to point to, say, the Syrian refugee crisis or police brutality or any number of other issues that would be resonant with the themes that those other earlier events really do conjure. You know, it's... One thing that I think is appealing to people about the Holocaust Museum is that it seems, in American terms, nonpartisan. You know, I'm having lots of conversations about slavery and the Civil War, however, and it's interesting Mm. how people can project partisan identities back on to something 150 years ago. So, Brian, your question about the current events of the Syrian refugee crisis and so forth— Ironically, uh, the thing that's dangerous, you can confront people with atrocity, but don't try to make it look like it's about today. Mm. Correct. So that raises the question, you know, we're supposed to do something with this information, but to what extent is going to the museum and confronting these atrocities, which is never a comfortable thing, is that in itself an act? Well, you know, the 
the challenge of these kinds of sites um, is the different things that people bring to them, right? So at some point in the past, I um, went to Dachau. And as a Jew, that was incredibly painful. And um, I felt that I had to do it, and I did it. But I brought with me everything that I had been taught uh, and, and everything that my family sort of felt about and had experienced involving the Holocaust. Now, that's a, a very, something very different from the person who is being introduced to it for the first time and takes a selfie. You know, that, that person is bringing, I, I was going to say no baggage, but just different baggage, right? So bringing yourself there is important, but that's the complexity and the challenge of these sites is that there's such a spectrum of kinds of people that they need to communicate with. So I will say that there is absolutely a need to bring oneself there and, and a need to, to recognize that we don't come unencumbered, any one of us, to these sites. But um, I think it's also true that being in these places and standing um, as a, a part of the landscape, you know, whether you're talking about the, the sites that are in Europe marking the Holocaust or sites on the West Coast of Africa marking slavery, lynching sites in the U.S., um, that it, it also takes a lot of work for those sites to be built. Um, and we have to acknowledge that they're just as constructed and just as contested as, as any place else and that there are all kinds of unmarked places where similarly mm. important historical happenings and human events occurred. And so in some ways, it's about reading both the, the landscape that seems invisible, but also recognizing the one that gets built for us as, as part of our inheritance. <laughs> 